Welcome to the Storyteller's Tavern. My name is Mush Hughes. And I'm Lee Northup. And together, we talk to makers and artists to learn more about the stories behind their projects and their creative journeys so far. Thanks for joining us here in the Tavern for Chapter 3, where all of our stories were told during WorkbenchCon 2023 in Atlanta, Georgia. When Lee and I showed up at Maker Camp, one of the first people we met there was Jess Crow, who physically ushered us into the Total Boat Tent and culturally ushered us into the Maker community at large. This warm welcome had a huge impact on us and is something that if you've ever met her, you know just comes easily to her. We were absolutely delighted to reunite with her at this year's WorkbenchCon for the first time since we saw her at Maker Camp, and we're very grateful to sit down and hear her stories. Just as a heads up, this is a heavier episode than normal here at the Tavern. Uh, Abuse, drugs, alcohol, and addiction all come up, so if these are topics with which you're uncomfortable, you might consider skipping this one. That said, we heard some powerful stories about Jess's transformation from a maker on the outside of the fray to welcoming new makers to the inside of it, persevering through the good and the ugly, what happens when you don't ask a question, and how to teach how to take risks. Welcome back to the Tavern. Friends, we're still at WorkbenchCon. We're still having a wonderful time. I think it's Saturday. Uh, it's one of those weekends where everything blends together in, in the most wonderful ways. Um, but we have finally gotten a chance to, to catch up with and sit down with our friend Jess Crow. Jess, welcome to the Tavern. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, it's so good to see you again. Um, for those folks who don't know, tell us a little bit about you and what you do. So, uh, there's a lot that I do that has been pretty hard to describe. Folks ask me that all the time, and I'm trying to figure out how to elevator pitch it in a couple of seconds. And I'm, I'm, see, I'm sitting here working on that. So I am a epoxy teacher. I am a woodworker. I am an artist. I am a maker, and I am a builder. And I'm trying to figure out how to put that all into one word, and it's just coming up as like snuffleupagus. <laughs> Jess, you're absolutely one of my favorite makers and here's why because you'll always have a special place in my heart as mush and i were diving into we've always been we've been makers for a long time um and we've been part of this community on the fringes but when we went to make our camp a couple years ago you were one of the first people that we ran into like literally like we walked because the total boat tent is like it's a party and there's just crow sitting there and we walked right up to you and it was this really neat kind of connection because it was as if hey you're a stranger but come on in and let's work together and let's make some cool stuff. Um, and that was, you were literally like the first connection that I had, we had um, into this maker community. And ever since then, I mean, that this community has changed my life over the last couple of years. It's made me a better teacher. It's made me a better friend. It's made me a better person just being around all of you amazing creative people. So um, I've been really excited to have you on the program. So I'm, I'm so excited that we get to do this today. Oh, I'm really honored to be here because as soon as I saw you walk in today, I'm like, hey, wait, I recognize that face. And names are a struggle for me, but overall, faces I remember. And it did, it threw me right back to Maker Camp. It, it took me right back to sitting there and being like, hey, wait here, there's somebody else I want you to meet. And all of those things that go with it. I remember my first workbench. And. I came here by accident. I did not come as a maker. I did not come as an anybody. So it's been very important to me that when I see somebody who maybe is a little unsure where they're supposed to be, give them the option, right? Because sometimes people just actually want to be alone. They're trying to absorb and we, we process as introverts. We process that way. But then sometimes they're just a little bit 
well, I don't know what to do next. So I was that way. Now I'm trying to make it a point of making sure that anybody else has an option of how they want to be. Well, you do a fantastic job of like, hey, come on in. Like, that's what I felt like. You were just like opening the door, like inviting me in, like, hey, come on and let's let's make stuff together. And that was that was really cool and something I'll always hold very dear to my heart. That makes me smile. <laughs> so today, Jess, I got the opportunity to sit in your resident workshop and you used the word teacher. That was like your first part of your description was, I'm a resident teacher, like, and your talent for explaining the how-tos um, are, are pretty remarkable, and your gifts as an artist are absolutely amazing. Talk us through where that all started, and you, before we hit the record button, you're like, very little of it has anything to do with the resident, which is, um, I'm, I can't wait to hear the story. Um, okay. So, yeah, wherever you want to lead us, go for it. What's been interesting and and I might bounce around a little bit here and because that's the way that this journey has been for me and I say journey and it's like I don't even feel like I'm on a journey as much as every day is a is a different quest every day is a little bit of a different quest or a task that I need to learn and I need to complete I grew up in remote Fairbanks Alaska uh, I do get to tell my kids, hey, yo, I walked miles through the snowstorm, 62 below, uphill both ways, no electricity, no power. That did facilitate an absolute fundamental, you have to learn how to be able to build and create. Mm. You have to be able to survive with what you got. We did not have electricity. We had an outhouse. Toys were often sticks and rocks and whatever you could manage to make. That was just the way it was. Uh, my mom used to make all of our clothes. She would sew them and go into town, like going into town was a big deal. It was an event. It was a thing. It wasn't just, hey, we're going to go get groceries. It was okay. Next week on this day, we're going to make a trek into town, make sure everybody's wow. ready, check what you have, et cetera, et cetera. Unfortunately, that is the, about the fun part of where everything is. And this has been a part of every quest that I make a day in that of we are not alone. So oftentimes the things that we feel the most alone about, there's actually hundreds and thousands of people out there who are experiencing the same thing, but we just don't want to talk about it. I also grew up in a super abusive household. And that was why we were cordoned off in the middle of nowhere. And it took me a really long time to come to terms with that's how that was. And when I finally opened up as an adult, it turns out that there's a lot of adults that are like that. We still feel very alone. Like we should feel ashamed that we couldn't control what happened to us as kids. Part of what I did to learn how to cope was I turned to drugs and drinking. Uh, by the time I was 12 years old, I could drink more than most adult men could, and as well as drugs. Then at 16, I got pregnant and I had my oldest daughter. I had to make a choice. Did I want to be a parent or did I not? But the thing with addiction is, is that you can continue to mask it you know, whether it's eating or whether it's drugs and alcohol, addiction will always find a way. So while I stopped doing drugs and drinking, I turned to food. Food became my addiction. So I had my girl and I ate and I ate and I ate. By the time that I had my third daughter, I was almost 300 pounds. And unfortunately, my third daughter and I have a very rare genetic disease. It created a lot of problems. She spent her first year, 10 years of life in the hospital. As she continued to get sicker and we didn't have an answer, there was a time where um, 
I was downstairs at the children's hospital and she went in to, uh, she coded is what it's called. The elevator was broken and I needed to run up three flights of stairs. And when you are 300 pounds, that is a very hard thing to do, okay? But you can move fast when your family member needs you. I needed to lose weight, but I also had to deal with the fact that I had an addiction to food. So I found art, mm. right? So I had always been creative, but I had never taken it and turned it into something that was feasible or usable. So shifting my mindset from drugs and alcohol to food to, hey, what if art becomes the thing? What if building becomes the thing that I can be addicted to? How can I turn that into something that, one, doesn't kill me, two, is maybe a little bit therapeutic? And then three, what does that actually just look like? What if I just make? What if I just make things, you know? Do do I have to give them away? Do I have to make it a job? Because artists inherently feel like you have to not be a starving artist. You you need to be creating. So that was how I actually got started, was deciding that I needed to find a healthy addiction. So if I'm doing the math right, you were somewhere around 30, is that? Oh no, no, so I, um, I had my oldest daughter when I was 16. Right. I had my second daughter when I was 21. I had my third daughter when I was 24, okay. and uh, this all started happening around this. So yeah, I guess almost 30, about 28-ish, okay. was when it really hit home that I needed to make some significant changes to my life. Um, I will be 45 this year, and I am only five years into understanding what a hashtag is. <laughs> February 2019 was the first workbench that I ever came to. I did not know what this was. I did not know that conferences existed. I'm just over there making art, doing my own thing. I had a client, so fast forwarding between that time frame of like, why don't I make something? I'm still dealing with understanding my daughter's condition. I went back to school to get a nursing degree so I could understand her condition better. I'm just making stuff. I'm, I'm dabbling in a lot of stuff. That led to where furniture flipping was a big craze, right? Like shabby chic was a thing, but I could do that, but I was adding art to it. So I would take a vintage dresser, I would restore it, and then I would put vintage flowers on it. I would hand paint all these beautiful flowers and and just make things. From there, it was like, oh, I need a bigger palette. Why not make a table, right? (laughs) So then I would buy tables and refinish them. Then I was running out of tables. So then I had to learn how to make a table. And after I learned how to make a table, Late 2018, I had a client approach me, and they had just gotten back from um, Hawaii. And they had seen an artist over there who was taking little bitty four by four squares, painting oceans on them, and just covering them in epoxy, just just as a coating, as art resin. He's like, can you make me a sushi counter? I'm like, I mean, I guess. (laughs) Why not? Let's go for it. So. My first major, major project was a, a 16-foot on-curve. Woohoo! There, see, they're exciting. They're cheering us on. Was a 16-curved epoxy or wooden counter with a seven-foot wing. And at the time, I did not know that the artist was actually just painting the waves with a paintbrush. So I had to figure out how to make the waves out of epoxy. Late 2018, that countertop was completed. By January 2019, 
the gentleman who was teaching the epoxy classes here at, wood, uh, at Workbench emailed me, his name is Adam, and he said, hey, can I use pictures of your work for, for my slides for my class? I kid you not, I was like, well, one, who are you? Two is what Workbench. How does social media work? How do you even know that those pictures are out there? And I thought he was gonna use them as like, this is what happens when you do things bad. I mean, that's genuinely what I thought. I had zero a what, confidence. A what not to do slide. Yeah, yeah, a what not to do slide. At the same time, in conjunction with that, it was when like Business Insider and Forbes and Yahoo News also started picking up that countertop. And it just absolutely went viral. When I came to Workbench in 2019, I didn't know anybody. I, I, it, it just, I mean, I had people peripherally in my vision because they had started messaging me. But as you heard in class today, I stood in the back of that classroom, hiding in the shadows, not talking to anybody. I would take lunch and I would go sit in a corner and be afraid to approach people. And because I'm starting to learn like, oh my gosh, some of these people have millions of followers and they're like these little mini celebrities. And I am, what am I doing here? It was the first time I had been on a plane in almost six years. I cried getting on the plane because I was afraid to leave Alaska. I hadn't gone anywhere. I, coming to Atlanta was terrifying to me. People are terrifying to me, not because they're mean, but just because I'm shy, like ridiculously shy. Turns out that the countertop didn't suck. <laughs> Turns out it was a, a segue for a lot of artists and woodworkers to have a beautiful marriage of artistry and woodworking. And it has facilitated a desire in me to constantly push the boundaries between those two worlds, between woodworking and the art world. And so epoxy's been a part of my journey but a bigger part of my journey has been showing people, hey, if you have a disability, put your cups higher so you don't have to squat down. Hey, you can't mix because your hands hurt and they shake? Use a slow drill. Use that. So when I say epoxy isn't what has defined me, as an artist, I would have to say, and as a woodworker, I take more stock in the people who come up to me. Like right before class, a gentleman came up to me and he said, hey, Jess, I've been following you and it's, I love your work, but I've... I've got severe rheumatoid arthritis, everything in my body hurts, and watching you make modifications in your shop has helped me be able to continue to do what I love. Those are where I say that has been what my career so far in the last five years has been about. I am just blown away um, and thankful for your honesty and how you elegantly told that story and I mean wow with such grace and poise and um, how you've handled adversity throughout your life it's it's amazing and one obstacle after another but the way that you've met those those challenges with grace is is remarkable um, when you started you talked about your maker journey and you used the word necessity and we've heard that a few times like there was things that you just needed and that was a neat theme throughout your story because there was a time with your weight that it was necessary for you to do something different with your, um, you know, in town, you wanted clothes, your mom was sewing them. You wanted to make stuff because you needed them. Um, it sounds like your mom was one of those people that kind of inspired you as a maker because she was doing things. She was a, a crafts person. Mm -hmm. um, 
how is how does that work? And you told a funny story about the coasters that you give to her, um, but obviously she's still an important part of your life. And um, is there any your mom or anybody else people that you know kind of you hold on to as as maker inspiration? I would have to say yes, of course. Uh, my mom, she she definitely showed me how to persevere through a lot of stuff, as well as ugly things, and as well as as beautiful and graceful things. Um, Again, there's a lot of dynamics around that, that as I've gotten older, I've had to learn that, right? Sometimes we do the best we can in any given situation at any given time. That doesn't mean you have regret about something, but it just means that at that moment in time, you did the best you could. Coming to that understanding has helped me be a better parent to my girls, which I would have to say is a, if not the driving force of my life. When I got pregnant at 16, it was, that's a lot. And I was pregnant in a very small town who had, knew all about the history, right? Like your family can't be across, splash across the newspaper page without people knowing who you are. And I was just another example of a small town girl gone wrong, pregnant at 16, whole nine yards. Making a choice to be a mom gave me something to live for. Then, Making a choice to set a good example has been my inspiration this entire time. Everything I do today is how can I make sure that those three girls will be left with a legacy and a family tree. Something that I actually can't really say I have. Yeah, I have my mom and I have my stepdad and they're amazing. But that's all that we have in our history because the rest of the history is actually quite ugly. It's quite terrible. So a quest, right, has been for me to make sure that those three girls can look back and be like, hey, yo, that was my mom, right? She, she took care of our sister. She took care of us. She helped our sister to live, and she helped us live, and she gave us all these things. And I'm not talking like material things. All of the girls in their own right are amazing artists in each very, very different ways. They are amazing humans too that's more important to me than anything they ever do in this world is they are good people and being able to overcome I can't tell these kids like hey don't be afraid of life don't be afraid to get out there and do things if I'm the one sitting in the back corner of a room terrified to talk to people right that's really not working to be conducive to setting a good example right so every time I get in front of a class, I am terrified. I am so afraid of teaching because it's nothing I ever would have thought I would do. And I think of them and I say this little mantra, mantra in my head and I have this little necklace that has their names on it and I just twirl it. I'm like, okay, girls are here. They're the only people I need to talk to. Somebody told me actually last night and this kind of will wrap up this little thing here of, of why I make and why I teach. We were talking about being embarrassed about asking questions and like feeling like you stand out in a room if you don't know something, especially in a place like this, right? Like we have all these people who have got millions of YouTube followers and they just seem to naturally know how to do that. And people who are naturally social and they can just flitter into a room and they know what to say, they know what to act, they know what to do. And then there's people like me, who I'm like, oh my gosh, don't look at me, ah, I'm terrified. When the question came up about being embarrassed about asking questions because you might not know the answer, and I might mess it up a little bit, but the way that it was worded to me was when you don't ask a question, you rob somebody of the ability to educate you. Wow. Mm. 
it's really good. Somebody told me that just last night, somebody, somebody who's super important to me told that to me last night. And it's been settling into my brains of when I'm embarrassed about something and I know somebody knows a lot or seems really educated, by not asking that question, I am robbing them of their ability to shine, right? To, to fall in love with telling me a process. And it's such an interesting little ping pong ball that's bouncing in my mind right now of that statement of why we make, why we do. Because that's why I make, why I do, is because I want you to feel like you can now go do an epoxy project and you will have it under control. It's crazy to think about you not being comfortable in, in that room because you do shine. You, like, you are the one that flitters into the room and like you have, you show how to do that, how to do your craft um, with such elegance and confidence. And when we see people like that, we're like, yeah, you give us the confidence to be able to do those things. That question comment, Mush, is gonna be something that I'm bringing to the classroom. Absolutely. Immediately. Mm -hmm. like, and because kids are the same way. I mean, especially in the post-COVID world where kids were hiding behind masks for two years, um, we still have kids that are wearing masks. And you can tell maybe it's because of health, but I really think it's that that's their safety blanket. That's They want to hide behind this shroud in front of their face. Um, so getting those kids to you know have that confidence to, to take off the mask, to ask the question, to raise their hand and step up so that they can shine the way you're describing is, is pretty awesome. So <laughs> you talk about, and there's just so much to unpack with this, but you were 30, you started doing the resin stuff. Now Jess Crow has her name on Jess Crow Maker Poxy from Total Boat. I mean, you have your product line. I'm not even gonna try and say the name of the molds, but you have your own molds line. Can you tell me that, can you say it well? Like, yeah, so it's a, a Nahui mold. And, and you know, there's this thing, it's called For the Tapes, right? Right. Like, For the Tapes. So I didn't start doing epoxy work or any of that stuff until 2018. Okay. So it's only been, if, what, that's like six years? Yeah. That I've been doing even a smidgen of epoxy work. So I would love to say I've been doing it since my 30s, <laughs> but I didn't actually start even making really until my 30s. And... And that, I mean, I hope that the people are that are listening to this today that, you know, our workbench, either you were here and you, you know, you're listening to it because you were here or you weren't here and you wish you were here. So you're listening to this. But I hope that that's a loud and clear message for the people that could or would or have attended workbench con is just Crow started doing this like five years ago. Like, and that's and look at you now. It's it's amazing. And it's it's truly inspirational from the fact that not only are you such a talented artist, but the risk taking involved in your entire story. Like you had to take a lot of chances and you had to get on that airplane and come to big crazy city in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, and you did all of those things. And so how do, like if you could give some advice to, to Mush and I about teaching kids to take risks because risk taking is scary. I mean, that's what you've been talking about. How do we, how do we teach risk taking? How do we get those kids to have that creative confidence to be like, this is something I can try. This is something I can do. The quick and quick and easy little line here. So 2019, come to a conference, terrified, meet total boat, right? They send me some epoxy. It didn't work for what I wanted to do it. So I was like, hey, this is great. Thanks for sending me some, but I still need to use two different types of epoxies. 
I was afraid to tell him that because I was like, hey, free epoxy. I'm about to get rid of this. Way to go, Jess. But it wasn't working out for exactly what I needed to do. Then that turned into working towards developing an entirely new product. So risk right there. Hey, I'm going to make somebody upset. But how do I do it in a way that's not like your product sucks? Because it didn't suck. It just didn't work for what I was doing it for. So first step, when you're going to do something, do it with the intent to be helpful, not harmful. Oftentimes, kids particularly, even adults, if we, if we express an opinion, we're criticizing, uh, let me see. Okay, let me, again, bouncing around, backing up here. We need to be able to create a safety net, not only for kids and adults, to understand that it is okay to express your opinion as long as you are expressing that opinion in a way that is conductive to, conducive to having a conversation. If I had just gone back and like, hey, you know what, this stuff sucks, I'm not gonna use it, they would have been like, oh, well, okay, peace out, we don't need to send you anymore. Instead, I approached it with, I do like your product, but it's not working for exactly what I want it to work for. So again, the, I created a safety, safety words, right? Like, I like you, how can I make this better? So how do you teach kids to get to that point is by being an example, right? If you have a kid who you see is struggling, say, hey, I see you're having a hard time with something. Walk me through how you want to do it and we can work backwards. I've done that really good with my girls. It's like, don't think about how you should do it. Just tell me how you want to do it. No matter if you think it's crazy, you think it's bad, you think it's gonna burn and light the world on fire. And then let's work backwards from there to find a solution. So yeah, kids do. Kids and adults, we need safety nets to feel like we can express things eloquently. Then being able to take risks. I am very much a coin flipper in my head. Uh, if you think about it, right? When you flip a coin in the air, let's say we gotta choose between uh, going to McDonald's or going to Dairy Queen, all right? You flip that coin in the air and whatever side you're sitting there, you are hoping it's going to land on something. That's like, you have this split second of like, oh, I hope it's side B, oh, I hope it's side A. When I'm going to do something that I'm like, ooh, I don't know if I should do this or not, I flip that coin in my head and it helps me think, all right, if only for a millisecond I knew what I wanted to do, I will double down on that idea. And I might process it, but again, a mental coin flip helps a lot. It gives you maybe a glimpse of what you're not sure of, but you kind of know you should do. Right. So teaching my kids personally and people that I work with, do a mental coin flip. You're not sure you should lay that color down? Do a mental coin flip. You're not sure that you should enter that room? Do a mental coin flip. See what you kind of feel inside. And that's a personal thing, right? You can you can literally just flip a coin right. and, and call it good and see where you're at. But I'm willing to bet you when you flip that coin, for a you know split second in that you air, you're kind of like, yeah, I hope it lands here. Right. So it's silly, but it's a really easy task that's easy to do. Risk-taking itself is hard. Uh, I mean, I, there's no easy answer. And what works for me is not gonna work for somebody who has extreme social anxiety. Um, for me, if I'm afraid of something, that is a clear indicator that I need to do it. That is the way that my brain works. If I am scared of something, that says, Jess, you better figure it out because that means that you have to do it because otherwise you would not be afraid of it. 
and so often people run from challenges and it sounds like you're just you know you just meet those challenges head on and say like come on let's get after it sometimes it's head down with tears but <laughs> we're still working through it but either way you're still going for it which is which is cool and what a great segue into I, I know we don't usually talk in the tavern about the present and what we're doing right now um, but you got to kind of unveil something pretty special wow. during this and is it okay to talk about I mean it is it's just still it's such a Oh my gosh. But it's risk-taking and it's it risk-taking in action and something that, you know, kind of the, the next step for Jess Crow and something that's so cool. I know, even if, right, like you guys have the benefits of seeing me turn like shades of red now and I have a hard time making eye contact, it's terrible. I'm supposed to be getting really good at this. So, there has not been on the market an epoxy resin book. There just hasn't been. There's these little books, like there's two self-published books on Amazon, and then there are uh, a couple of other books that touch on epoxy resin. Like there's epoxy resin for wood turners, and there's like a little bit of live edge resin for, for very specific things. But when we step back and look at epoxy resin as a whole, it is such a dynamic medium. I mean, they use it to line paint cans to prevent rusting. It was initially used to make boats. That's 100% what the West Brothers used it for before they created West System was to make boats. Then when we dive down even further, there's hundreds of different types of epoxy resins and all have different applications. How do I use them? What do I do with them? So, um, yeah, I got to write. I, I was blessed to be asked and also willing to write Epoxy Resin, the complete guide for builders, makers, and artists that is currently available for pre-order right now on Barnes & Noble, Target, every major retailer across the nation now has a weird Jess Crow book, right? <laughs> but here's the most important thing for me, and I know right, like time is always a thing. One of the biggest things that I've heard in classes is is I can't do this because I can't, right? Like we put these barriers in front of ourselves. I can't do this because I'm only working on a two by four table. That's all, that's the only workstation I have. So I decided that including all of this information for this book, that was great. It's everything you will need to understand. But there's also 12 projects, but here's where like, hey, everybody has a project book, right? Here's where it gets important. I never wanted somebody to be able to say they couldn't make a project in the book because they didn't have a table saw, because they didn't have this. So I was inspired by a book called The Book of Two Ways, which has nothing to do with woodworking, but it's a fantastic book. It's called The Book of Two Ways. I decided that every one of those 12 projects, I was going to do two ways. The first way was 100% store-bought items. Everything that you can, from the table to the bookmark, you can go and buy a slab down at Home Depot. There's your table. You can buy pre-made legs. There's your table. Or you can have slabs and make the table. Bookmark. Make your own mold. Make a bookmark. Use a laser like I did to cut it out. Or just go on Amazon, buy a little bookmark. Every single project is done two ways. One way with 100% store-bought items that you can, if I can find it in Alaska, you all can find it everywhere else, trust me. The second way is 100% by making it from scratch. So nobody will ever not feel like they can do something because cool. of limitations in their shop or their bodies. And I love the accessibility that is coming through in so many ways that you're talking about. Like you want everybody to have that opportunity the same way that you did and where you got started and look where you are now. You're, a, you're an author. <laughs> I'm an author. Yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been challenging to kind of keep it 
under wraps because everybody's like, oh, I'm doing TV and I'm doing all these people, right? Everybody's doing TV. And I'm over here like, I'm writing a book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's just a thing. It's, it's hard because so many people are pushing people to do TV, do this, do that. And especially in our place in space, it's popular to be on TV. It's popular to be pushing for TV. And again, I'm over here like, well, I'm going to write a book. And it's almost a lost art in a community of screen time. It, it is. So again, here I am feeling a little bit on the outside looking in. And it had, part of my trepidations about announcing it was like, well, it's not TV. Right. Right? So it's that own inward struggle that I still face this day of like, it's not TV. But the thing that I love about books, and Chris actually hit on this on one of our episodes from this chapter, he's got his Japanese tool books on his, in his station in there on the, um, the, the timber frame build. Like he's got those pieces that will be sitting with him forever. And he still leafs through those books and he still refers back. He's a master craftsman, but he still refers back to those books because they're for, they're forever. Nobody's got a TV that they're going to flip back through, you know, to be like, oh, remember when Jess Crow did this episode and they're, they're going to refer back to that. Like, sure, we keep our library of YouTube videos or Instagram reels or whatever, and we like those. But when you put a book on your shelf in your shop or in your library or whatever, like that's a, like kind of a, a personal affirmation of this is something that I believe in and this is something that I'm going to use. I'm going to read. And yeah, some books you just kind of, they come and they go after you're done, you pass them on or whatever. Um, but something like that, I bet will be in a lot of shops for a long time and people will go back to it and continue to make those things. So I think that form, the written form is such a long standing, you know, time honored tradition. That's not just going to fade away with the next reel, the next video, the next TV show. I think it's pretty darn special. It, and, and I would have to agree with that. It's just, again, that, that sense of how do you embrace being a little bit different? How do you embrace you know, if I had come in with an HGTV show, right? Like everybody would be like, hey, I got an HGTV show, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like that's normal. That's the normal thing that you're seeing nowadays. And so it, it just heralds back a little bit to that, how to embrace your weird. That has been something that's super big for me. Just embrace your weird, go with it. The thing that you think you're the weirdest about is actually going to be your greatest asset to the community. And I guess that's, that is going to be what I would encourage you to tell your students and any person who is listening. Embrace the weird. Embrace your weird. Mm -hmm. Because that is actually going to be the thing that's going to help you find the community that's going to support you the best. And not people who are just there just to be there. When you, when you niche down on your weird, <laughs> to be quite honest, I think for me, that is where I have been the most comfortable is... I'm just me, and I am weird. <laughs> I can't think of a better place to wrap this up, Jess. That was fantastic. Thank you so much for these stories. Jess, where can people go to keep up with what you're doing? Uh, so you can actually now, weirdly enough, just Google Jess Crow, and I am all of Google. It is <laughs> such a strange point in my life. Um, and then from there, just Google will send you to my Instagram or any of your favorite search engines. It'll send you to Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok, you know, like all the normal social channels, of course. But then another large component is, is particularly woodcraft. So I teach a lot at the woodcraft stores. So if you're looking for hands-on stuff, um, I'm working through woodcrafts across the nation doing like four-hour classes, which wow. 
I love, right? You think hanging out with me for 90 minutes is cool. Four hours. We're pretty freaking <laughs> rad. That sounds awesome. So easy enough. Just search my name. Awesome. Weird. And, <laughs> and you can read our book, Mush. Oh, yeah. yes. You can, read, you can read my book. <laughs> Just one second, I'm going to ask you to toast us out. Um, before we do that, I want to give a shout-out and a thank you to WorkbenchCon and to Total Boat, who are making this chapter happen, guys. We really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun, and um, it means a lot. So, thanks. Oh, wait, that's right. That's right. i gotta, I got to toast. As we um, always do. Okay, you know what? Um, okay, I think I got it. Okay. Again, we're going to say it weird, and then we'll have to work backwards. All right. Here is a toast to meeting you guys at Maker Camp and being able to now call you my friends. Awesome. Cheers. 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 We just heard from Jess Crow. You can check out more of what she's doing on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and all the other usual suspects. Your best bet is probably to go to her link tree at L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Crow Creek Designs and following her links there. You can also get to everything in the show notes. You can also keep an eye on your local woodcraft class schedule to see if she'll be making an appearance near you. And you can pre-order her book, Epoxy Resin, The Complete Guide for Artists, Builders, and Makers, through your favorite bookseller before it comes out on July 18th, 2023. Finally, we kept the mics rolling for a bit after this episode and just did some catching up and project gushing with Jess, which you can hear in Another Round with Jess at patreon.com slash Pod. And that does it for this episode of Chapter 3 of the Storyteller's Tavern. We hope you enjoyed and will join us next time. Until then, you can find us on Instagram at sttavernpod or at sttavernpod.com. If you haven't yet, you can subscribe to this podcast in the podcatcher of your choice, where you're also able to review the show and give it up to a five-star review. If you're enjoying these episodes and want to support us, you can go to patreon.com slash sttavernpod and sign up to become a patron of the show, which will not only help us make this show, but will also give you access to all of our Another Round episodes, where we sometimes let the mics roll for a little bit extra after we toast. All the stories in this chapter were made possible by WorkbenchCon and TotalBoat. Check them both out online at WorkbenchCon.com and TotalBoat.com, respectively. Thank you both so much. And finally, if you or a maker you know have a story that you'd like to share at the tavern or just want to drop us a line, you can send us a message on Instagram or reach out to us at contact at StorytellersTavernPod.com. But until next time, keep making cool stuff, do good, and be well. <laughs>